for the past few months, he has been traveling the world, making uh, making deals, uh, making arrangements. He traveled to Turkey, uh, where he signed an agreement to expand the their trade partnership uh, and expand the corridor between Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Georgia, and Turkey. He uh, had meetings with the Chinese officials, um, and he actually recently signed an expanded trade agreement with Iran. So. Kazakhstan is working hard to decrease the country's dependency on the land corridors that Russia provides. So hopefully that's uh, that's a useful overview. Thank you very much, Mandy. Um, Luis, if you want to jump back up, if you have any sub-questions, I'm sure that uh, if, if you have the time and opportunity, I'm sure Mandy will be happy to entertain us. Um, I'll, I'll ask you a very you know broad overview question. How much of a move away from Russia is this? You quantify it however you'd like, but I, I think that's the that's kind of the field that most listeners would struggle the most with having. Sure, uh, there's there are two things that people shouldn't forget that Kazakhstan is still a member of the CSDO, Collective Security Treaty Organization, and Kazakhstan is still a member of the EAEU, uh, the Eurasian Economic Union. As of now, there are no indications that Kazakhstan is planning to uh, leave those organizations. For comparison, Uzbekistan, the neighboring country, left those two organizations a long time ago. So CSDO is a basically a military alliance between Belarus, uh, Russia, Kazakhstan, Armenia, Kyrgyzstan, and Tajikistan. Uh, the EAU is a is touted to be an equivalent of the EU. Obviously, it's not. Um, not just by its economic power, but also and its purpose, because it's a it's a Kremlin project that is used as a soft power projection tool. Um, and the the economic union uh, has very specific rules that only suit the Kremlin, and those rules get changed frequently. And whenever those rules do not satisfy the Kremlin, they they change them uh, at their whim. So. Those are the two indicators that would really start showing a significant rift between Kazakhstan and Russia if Kazakhstan decides to leave either one of those. I I would understand why Kazakhstan would be very apprehensive about leaving the CSTO um, because it's a military alliance. And if Kazakhstan is not on the official alliance with Russia, then technically there'd be nothing stopping them to to do any kind of military aggressions. But uh, I know it's a... It might seem like a fiction because the Russians kind of violated many uh, prior agreements and many prior treaties. But at least this way, uh, they would alienate pretty much every single uh, neighbor that is at least somewhat friendly to them if they attack one of the CSTO members. Uh, but if Kazakhstan does leave the EAEU, uh, I don't think the country would actually stand to lose much. Um, the, the the papers in Kazakhstan really like publishing articles saying that Kazakhstan is extremely dependent on Russia and Kazakhstan is extremely dependent on the economic union with Russia. But to be honest, uh, back when the Russian economy at least had some prospects of future growth, it made sense. But now, uh, given what Russia has been doing for the past few months and the sanctions that are imposed on the country, uh, there's no sense in remaining with them and the economic union. Of course, it still allows some free flow of goods between the two countries, 
Uh, but Russia's output is only going to decline in the future. The quality of their uh, finished goods and the rest of their trade goods are going to fall. So eventually, I hope uh, the Kazakh authorities will find a way to uh, understand and realize that the economic union with Russia will not bear any fruits anymore. So that would be a very good indication that Kazakhstan is no longer aligned with Russia if the country leaves that specific economic union. Um, in terms of other quantification, uh, uh, so to speak, qualifications or quantifications of the relationship between the two countries, it's kind of difficult because it's a it's a diplomatic uh, song and dance. They say that thing, they say this thing. Um, but if we do see a significant increase in propaganda attacks from the Russian side against Kazakhstan, I think it would be a good indication that whatever we saw uh, happening at St. Petersburg was not just a show. Uh, it was indeed unexpected to the Russian side, and they're indeed unhappy about the president's behavior. Um, whatever Takayev said in St. Petersburg, he still can potentially backtrack and take his words back. Technically, it was um, it was a good move in the right direction, but he could still uh, recognize DPR and LNR tomorrow. Um, so I'd be very careful about what uh, how people position him right now because he can change his stance at any time. How is the... This is a very different question, but I'm guessing that you, you follow Kazakh media quite closely. And of course, you know, we, we know the caveats of the media landscape probably not being the most free and open and whatever, but but fine. How, maybe even more so in this context, how is the Russian war in Ukraine being covered in Kazakhstan? I think that's quite interesting to know, right? Because it is being covered in China, for example, in a very particular way. Um, how How is it being covered in Kazakhstan? What's the kind of, let's say, the media attitude to it? Sure. Uh, so initially... When the full-scale invasion of Ukraine started in, in February, uh, the media did not cover the war at all. For the first month of the war, there was as if, as if nothing was happening, and it was just surreal. Um, you'd open all those websites from the, of the Kazakh TV channels and news sites, and Ukraine would not be mentioned at all. Uh, later on, as the war progressed, um, as some papers uh, took somewhat of a uh, pro-Russian stance, uh, not explicitly calling Ukraine the Ukrainians Nazis and so on and so forth, but kind of subtly indicating that Russia is uh, in Ukraine um, for some made-up justified cause and so on and so forth. But most of the websites try to take uh, a bit of a neutral stance. Um, they tend to post daily updates in a single article. Uh, where they uh, every morning they would just do a quick summary of what happened in the past uh, that 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 relates to this war. Uh, they they don't really take an explicit pro-Russian stance. They don't take a pro-Ukrainian stance. They just try to be extremely neutral. Um, they just republish. They try to republish sources such as Reuters, uh, which is yeah. Depending on whom you ask, it's <laughs> it's either impartial or not. Uh, they try try to republish sources such as Associated Press. Um, so at least there is some coverage that is neutral. Um, and I think the the Kazakh media is well aware that there's a very strong sentiment in Kazakhstan among a very large portion of the population. And I think 
uh, I'd be, I dare to say that at least in the majority of the population, at least 50% of the population where people actually support Ukraine because they see this war for what it is. It's a, it's a colonial war of aggression. And uh, for many people in Kazakhstan, they, they, they are aware that Kazakhstan could be potentially a target for a, for a Russian colonial war in the future as well, because we've been there already. Is there a fear that Russia might want to deal with Kazakhstan, something like it did with Georgia or something like it did with Ukraine in 2014? Is, is, does that kind of, is, is that more than a fringe idea in Kazakhstan? It's definitely more than a fringe idea uh, because the foundations for such a movement are there. Uh, we do have a large ethnic Russian population and they tend to be concentrated in the north. Uh, so uh, it's kind of hard to gauge what their stance is. And I think uh, with sufficient uh, propaganda influence from the Kremlin, and they could be swayed wherever. Uh, that's why we, we've seen some historical examples in the past where um, territories that were occupied, for example, German territories that were given to Poland, uh, the local authorities tried to move all of the ethnic, German pop, uh, ethnic Germans out of the territories just to make sure that there are no, there are no political causes um, or at least foundations for any future land claims. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, nothing of the sort happened. So now Kazakhstan it, it has that uh, potential spark just sitting there in the north. Uh, we'll see what happens, but it is a concern. Uh, will it happen any any time in the future? I'd say no, because Russia is way too busy right now. Um, so I, I I'm more or less optimistic, perhaps, but I don't I don't think. Uh, we should be too worried just yet because there are no indications of anything of the sort happening just yet. And there's also a uh, about a quarter of a million or so Ukrainians in, in Kazakhstan as well. Does that play into it at all? Is there any talk from them, perhaps, in the slightest? Or would you say that they're more, broadly speaking, more aligned with the Russian community in Kazakhstan anyway? Oh yeah, there are a lot of ethnic Ukrainians, and no, they're not aligned with the Russians. <laughs> they are uh, extremely pro-Ukrainian. Uh, they've they've organized uh, multiple events, charity events. Um, they they organized, they took part in a humanitarian effort with the local uh, nonprofit organizations, uh, where they were trying to um, get humanitarian supplies from Kazakhstan into Ukraine. So. Of course, I cannot speak to the entire uh, uh, ethnic Ukrainian population in Kazakhstan, but at least my impression was that uh, the 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 pro-Ukrainian rallies that were allowed to happen um, were mostly attended by either ethnic Kazakhs or ethnic Ukrainians living in Kazakhstan. Thank you. Thanks so much. See, it's it's really good that we have someone with uh, familiarity with Kazakhstan, with, with local knowledge, so to speak, because otherwise this is somewhat impenetrable otherwise. Um, and if anybody has uh, questions for Madi, I'm sure that he's, uh, he's happy to answer them as well. Um, when you said the, the rallies that were allowed to happen, is what, what was the basis for, you know, say not allowing them to happen? Was it more to do with just not wanting rallies generally because the government doesn't necessarily want too much expression of political will? Or was it specifically targeted 
and it was in a, to to avoid any unnecessary conflict with Russia. I think it's both. Um, uh, during the first month of the wars, they tried to uh, kind of take a neutral stance just to see what happens, just wait it out. Um, but after they realized that the Russians are not exactly succeeding and they're not as strong as they uh, portrayed themselves to be, they did allow uh, a couple of rallies to happen. But afterwards, um, they, I, I think there were extra requests or extra uh, requests for permits because every single pu- uh, public rally in Kazan by the local law needs to be approved by the local authorities. Otherwise, it's considered to be a, an illegal assembly and it might, it will most likely get dispersed by the police. Um, so uh, after those rallies happened in the first half of the, in the during the first 60 days, uh, no additional rallies were allowed to happen, even though I think uh, I've seen some activists claiming that they did file for extra permits to hold extra rallies, um, but they never got the permission. Uh, so as of now, the government is again taking somewhat of a neutral stance uh, within the country, but outwardly it would seem that they're trying to move away from Russia. Thanks, Mali. Just a quick uh, warning for everyone. There's a, there might be a connectivity issue. And if so, just follow the water underscore report account and we'll have a new space up in a matter of literally seconds if this one crashes. If it doesn't crash, we'll just press on as normal. But if it does crash, just look out for a new space. This happens occasionally because Twitter technology is, you know, not always that reliable. Just follow water underscore report, reconnect to the new space because uh, it'll come up in seconds if this one crashes. If it doesn't crash, things go on as normal. Um, so I have a question here, and th- thanks so much, Madi. That's if, if you want to say anything else on this, um, go, go on. Otherwise, I have another question for you. No, not really. Okay, great. Um, so uh, from one of our Ukrainian listeners, he asks: um, Every time Putin says Tokayev's name, he says the wrong name. Apparently, I didn't notice that because I wasn't really listening to Putin. Is this something that people in Kazakhstan notice, and how's that received? Oh yeah, it's. Uh... It's not every and time. What does he mean by the wrong name in the first place? Maybe explain that, because I don't think anybody understands. He's got- All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back after a, a somewhat unfortunate technical difficulty. Uh, you know, this happens every every now and then. Uh, we we'll try to get Madi back up to uh, so he can actually answer the question he started answering. If you could all be so kind as to share and retweet the space, click that big blue button in the bottom right corner of your screen. I think it took us just around um, one minute and five seconds to get going again. Um, Madi, if we could just wait a second so we get a few more people uh, join us before you start talking again, because uh, we went from about 320 to currently 65, and maybe uh, you know there, there's people among the 240 odd who have not connected, reconnected yet, uh, who would quite like to hear the answer to your question. Sergei, I see, is already in the audience. So if everybody could just take a few seconds, click that big blue button in the bottom right corner of the screen. Add some hashtags, add some people, you know, tag some people uh, who we want to see in the space, tag some people who are in the space, and uh, we can get uh, we can get more people in here. Uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, once we hit about a hundred, then we can we can proceed on with our regularly scheduled programming. I think, and that shouldn't take more than a few seconds at this point. Uh, if you all go out and retweet the space, we will be back up and fully running in the next 
Ah, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, slowly climbing up to 70. Of course, as always, if you'd like to come up and speak, just click that request button in the bottom left corner of your screen. If you want to know something about Kazakhstan, uh, you know, maybe now is your time to, uh, to do so. Obviously, Kazakhstan is a, a formerly... Is a, is, a, is a former Soviet country, and before that, uh, let's say, colonized by the Russian Empire, shares quite a lot of history with Ukraine, kind of a parallel history with Ukraine, and uh, that that in itself, I would say, makes it uh, makes it quite important. Apparently, there's some technical difficulties still. Some people don't see the space in the normal place up top of the latest tweets and had to go straight to the WR profile to actually find the space. I mean, that's why we're only hitting 80 now. So if you could, again, all be so kind as to um, share and retweet the space, click that big blue button in the bottom right corner of the space, send it out. Uh, maybe that will help with the visibility enough that we hit, you know, back up into triple digits soon. Um, but that's probably why it's populating a little bit more slowly than normal. If you want to go to the WR account, maybe retweet that one as well. Maybe that's uh, that's idea. Maybe that's a good idea as well. Apparently now it's being sorted out and it's popping back up um, into the usual place. But that is why maybe it's a little bit slower than normal. So, Madi, just before the space crashed, uh, you were going to talk about what name Putin calls the Kyiv, what, so what name the Russian president calls the Kazakh president or the Kazakhstani president. Um, apparently he calls him by the wrong name. What does that wrong name mean? What, what is the wrong name by which Putin calls the Kyiv? So Takayev has a really complicated name. His full name is Kasim Jamart Kemelevich Takayev. So um, I'm pretty sure any Russian speaker would ha- not have any trouble pronouncing it. And Putin, I heard Putin pronouncing his name correctly multiple times, but uh, every once in a while he says it incorrectly and he says it's, um, so to speak, in some variations. There's no specific uh, version that he likes to stick to, uh, but people have to keep in mind. It's a, it's an old Russian tactic that is used by their criminal elements, that is used by their diplomats, by their government officials when they're trying to show their superiority uh, when they don't have any solid arguments or, or, uh, or anything else. So it's, you, you got to consider it to be just nothing more than a power play. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't really put too much stock in it. Uh, of course, it's annoying every single Kazakh because it's extremely disrespectful. But I, I, to be honest, I don't find it surprising uh, of a behavior from someone like Putin. And just real quick, you said Kamilyevich there, right? That's a patronymy. That sounds like something from the Russian tradition rather than necessarily yep. Kazakh. Exactly. So is that, is that something that was quite prominent in, say, the Soviet times, especially uh, under some degree of Russification as well? Yeah, that was prominent during the Soviet times. And whenever dealing with the government officials from Russia, uh, it is used. But... Uh, as of now, Kazakhstan kind of is dropping that entire, I don't want to call it tradition, but uh, a forced standard uh, by the by the Russian Empire. Uh, so you also see a lot of Kazakhs dropping the OV ending. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those. I would need a lot of paperwork. I, I've lived in multiple countries, so changing my last name would be a bit of a 
a bit of a mess. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely an old forest uh, tradition. Thank you, Madi. Uh, Victor, do you have a question on Kazakhstan, by any chance? Oh, yes. <clears throat> uh, good morning, good afternoon to everyone. Um, I was just wondering, um, maybe I've missed, uh, because, you know, the whole space has crashed. Maybe I've missed that point. But my question was whether the uh, Honourable Speaker thinks that uh, Putin is doing this intentionally or he is uh, doing it because of his ignorance. Uh, could you comment on that, please? Sure. He's most definitely doing it intentionally uh, because he's. I've seen him pronounce... Takayev's name properly multiple times. For example, going back to the St. Petersburg International Economic Forum that just happened recently, uh, during the initial opening stage of the of the forum or the joint presentation and then later the Q&A panel, uh, he said Takayev's name properly at least on three occasions before saying it incorrectly. So it's most definitely done intentionally. Okay, thank you. And my main question was, um uh as follows uh you might think this is a conspiracy theory uh but as someone said uh many conspiracy theories in russia actually come out to be true um do you think kazakhstan is aiming at uh, taking a place of a country with uh, with, the, uh, with which help russia can avoid sanctions do you think that um uh, quite a bizarre um uh, or a statement which Takayev did uh, during the uh, St. Petersburg Forum, uh, which is not actually a characteristic of uh, courtesy and Asian diplomacy, which we are used to, uh, uh, naming Donetsk and Lugansk as a quasi-states, uh, which is very blank, as I said, which is not very common with Asian, uh, Asian presidents. Do you think that has been just like a cover-up? Maybe Kazakhstan is aiming uh, to become uh, like Belarus uh, before, uh, trying to gain as much profit as possible from the sanctions imposed on Russia, i.e. supplying all the sanctioned products through the enormous border which Kazakhstan is sharing with Russia. And now Takayev is just trying to adopt a failed image of a country which is very independent from, uh, from the Russian foreign policy. Could you please comment on this? Thank you. Sure. Um... I understand why many in the world would be concerned. Uh, that that was put in, uh, one of my concerns initially during the opening stages of the war or the full-scale invasion of Ukraine as well. Uh, but I don't see any indications that it is happening. In fact, I, I see the opposite. Um, Takayev, after Takayev's speech, um, the there were some reprisals from the Russian Federation. I... I before the uh, the space crashed, I mentioned that Russia uh, closed down the port of Novorossiysk, which is a major terminal for the uh, uh, for the pipeline carrying eighty percent of Kazakh oil uh, to the international markets. So uh, that is uh, uh, that is retribution from the Russian Federation, so to speak. Uh, there were also uh, multiple moves by Kazakhstan within the country. Uh, that lim- significantly limits operations of Russian companies within the con- within the country and of Russian citizens within the country. Uh, previously, they could open uh, bank accounts and get issued uh, Visa and Mastercard card payment cards quite easily, but that is no longer the case anymore. Uh, they would need to get a work permit, and getting a work permit uh, is now very complicated because they introduced 
a whole list laundry list of extra requirements um and on top of that anyone who got issued a visa or mastercards uh who's a russian citizen within kazakhstan uh will need to get it transferred into a national payment system uh which is absolutely useless because it can be used only within the country and that's it uh on top of that there were uh, there was a meeting between um our uh, minister or kazakhstan's minister of foreign affairs and uh, state secretary blanket uh that happened i can't ex- remember the exact date but that happened at least a month ago i'm pretty sure um um the the meeting was not uh open to the to the journalists so we would it happened behind closed doors but the official version was that kazakhstan was talking about expanding relations with the united states um uh, but unofficially it, it would seem that uh Kazakhstan got a pretty stern warning from the US to um ensure that the country doesn't become a safe harbor for Russia to bypass any possible sanctions. Uh could Kazakhstan be used uh as a as a window for Russia to bypass uh, the existing sanctions still? Of course. Um perhaps not with the with the knowledge of the local government but through the local co- companies that do operate in Kazakhstan um through uh, trade um obviously it would require a lot of work uh, a lot of monitoring and enforcement from from the Kazakh government to ensure that it doesn't happen so we'll see if it does actually uh, bear any fruits um uh, because people are still people if there's uh, if there's money to be made uh there there will be someone who would be willing to break the law so hopefully that answers your question victor yes thank you very much thank you you can drop me down now thanks thank you victor thank you madi uh, another question for me friendly listener um kazakhstan kind of gave up the cyrillic alphabet that it had previously used under during the soviet times how much is that to distance themselves for uh, from russian influence or is it more of a purely internal matter and maybe you can outline the changes to the orthography and the the writing system a little bit if you uh if you wish sure uh so the kazakh language is not a slavic language it is a turkic language um so it's a purely internal matter even if someone who's a russian speaker and sees something written in kazakh and in cyrillic they would not be able to understand anything <laughs> to be honest uh it's it's a purely internal matter that the kremlin really likes to blow out of proportion uh for purely propaganda purposes um but there could be some uh legitimate concerns for them because uh, the kazakh language is somewhat similar to the turkish language and because of the uh, transformation which is still being done by the way it's not finished yet uh and because of this transformation anyone in Kazakhstan who uh, speaks Kazakh and is able to read um uh, in Latin script would gain access to the uh, to anything that is written in Turkish and uh, would be uh, would be able to read it and understand it um and vice versa anyone in Turkey would actually be able to somewhat understand what is written in Kazakh uh so that opens a window of influence for Turkey um and that's where the entire uh geopolitical thing starts coming to play because Russia doesn't want any other country to have uh increased influence uh, in their former uh colony um but overall uh to be, if you consider objectively without taking into account the turkish factor it's a purely internal matter and uh it's purely blown out of proportion for 
propaganda purposes. I know that many, many journalists on RT bring it up every now, every once in a while, but those claims are just absolutely ridiculous. So for all intents and purposes, Kazakhstan's currently digraphic, right? It, it kind of uses Cyrillic and Latin alphabets in, in daily life. They're kind of used in parallel for the Kazakh language. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, the official documentation in Kazakh is still written in Cyrillic. But um, if you look around in the daily life, uh, go into a, a store uh, or if you if you see some of the uh, chats and telegram between uh, that are in Kazakh, you'll see that people mix mix in both. Yeah, and at the end of the, day, I'll just stress it really makes sense, right? Because because it is a Turkic language, and because there is an established orthography for Turkish for Turkic languages in the Latin script. Um, also, Azerbaijan, for example, also switched to 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 a Latin script as well, right? Um, are other Central Asian um, countries that used to be a part of the Soviet Union that use Turkic language switching as well? Yes, so. Kyrgyzstan is still sticking to the Cyrillic script. Uh, Uzbekistan switched. Uh, I'm actually not sure what's happening in Turkmenistan. Uh, it's one of those Nobody countries. is. Yeah, it's kind of hard to follow that country. Uh, Tajikistan is not a Turkey country, but it's but still... That's Persian, right? Yeah, it is in Central Asia. I, I, I'm pretty sure they still use Cyrillic. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Um, anyone who's any Turkic country that that still has, is using a Cyrillic script, uh, they can simply lift the Turkish alphabet and adopt it. It's not that difficult. How much of a difference is there between, um, this would be a really silly question, but between Turkish and Azeri, I know there's a relatively little difference in, in language. How much of a difference is there between, say, Turkish and Kazakh or Turkish and, and Uzbek, if you can give us a rough feel? Uh for people who are listening from Eastern Europe, I'll use the Slavic languages for comparison. Uh, uh, Kazakh and Turkish are about uh, the same distance as Russian and Serbian. Uh, there's uh, some similarities, but you would need some training to actually gain um, proper knowledge. Uh, the, tra- uh, the training wouldn't take too long, maybe about a month of uh, intense study and you'd become fluent if you speak Kazakh. Uh, or you'd become fluent in Kazakh if you speak Turkish in about a month. Okay, perfect. I think that's a really good characterization that people can understand relatively easily. Um, so basically, even 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 closer than, say, German is to Scandinavian languages, for example, right? It's, oh, yeah, a lot. Right, and German and Scandinavian languages are relatively relatively easy to pick up for the so Scandinavian languages are relatively easy to pick up for, for Germans much more so than others and yet it requires quite quite extensive study right so this would be much easier still for example um, fantastic thank you very much uh, if anybody else has I know that you're, you're limited on time you have other things to do um, and nobody sent me any other questions as to this right now uh, but I am getting lots of lots of thanks and uh, lots of um, Praise for you, Maddie, by the way, uh, from various listeners from around the world. So just, just so you. that you know. Happy to be helpful. Thank you very much. And as I told you yesterday, you know, it's great to have someone who's an expert, some, to, to some degree at the very least, uh, at least through you know, lived experience of a, of a place that really does matter when it comes to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, but at the same time isn't covered very well and is kind of difficult to understand from 
anglophone media specifically uh and it's great to have people like you around because of that um so thank you very much uh we also have olof up uh olof isn't actually his real name he's a ukrainian serviceman currently on medical leave right um olof if you have any any questions of what's going on in kazakhstan we have madi still here with us for a few minutes uh go right ahead otherwise you know feel feel free to to switch to something else um, actually, if you want to sw- switch to something else, there's a there's a question here from a listener asking, uh, Madi, how do you see the change of of Kazakh relations with respect to China, Turkey, as well as India? Um, I guess over the past few years and also o- over the coming year, um, there's been an increase, a significant increase in uh, investments, foreign investments from China coming into Kazakhstan. They've been trying to expand their influence in the country, but uh, they've encountered some pushback because when the Chinese invest, they really like buying out land. And whenever they establish their enterprises, they really like bringing in their own labor force from China. Uh, They tried using that in Kazakhstan and it didn't go so well with the local population. Uh, There's been a lot of pushback. Uh, Because of that, the the local government had to uh, roll back on some of those promises that they made to the Chinese uh, government. Um, also, the relationship needs to be considered through the lens of the current genocide that is happening in Xinjiang um, because it's done against uh, Uyghurs and ethnic Kazakhs living in, in, in that region. So there's a, there's, I don't want to say resentment, but um, China, uh, China's image in Kazakhstan is not exactly perfect either. And people know it and the government knows it. So uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a tense relationship. Obviously not as tense as it is with, uh, it is with Russia right now. Uh, but still, people, people know that the Chinese are not uh, exactly benevolent. benevolent. Uh, the relationship with India has been good in the 90s. It's, it's good now. Um, there was a significant expansion in, in trade between the two countries, uh, but nothing of import happened over the past 20 years, to be honest. Uh, we're still trading uh, primarily in agriculture uh, coming out of Kazakhstan uh, and uh, raw materials and India in return supplies. I know that India supplies a lot of pharmaceuticals um, and supplies um, some other agricultural goods. Uh, Turkey, on the other hand, significantly expanded their uh, influence over the past 30 years, uh, ever since Kazakhstan gained independence. Uh, their their efforts within the country in the 90s were actually quite high, but slowed down uh, between 2000 and uh, 2020. But now they're, they seem to be rising again because and they, not so long ago, they, they announced uh, that Turkey will be increasing their investments in Kazakhstan. Uh, they announced that they're planning to open a UAV factory or a strike drum factory um, to produce uh, TAI Anka, uh, so not Bayraktar. Um, and quite possibly, uh, there will be more uh, more of the uh, military agreements with Turkey coming in for, uh, f- uh, to set up uh, local, uh, local production for other interesting stuff. But we'll have to see. And is the expanded Turkish investment in Kazakhstan and better relations generally very positively received? 
Oh yeah, so, uh, forgot to mention that. Yeah, Turkey. We don't have a common border border with Turkey, so that's a uh, that's a big plus. Uh, that uh, uh, so people are not exactly concerned about Turkey making any territorial claims. And on top of that, it's, um, uh, it's uh, there's a portion of the population, but it's it's a significant minority that uh, tries to stay to this pan-Turkic uh, uh, influence. Uh, there's a lot of cultural affinity between Kazakhstan and Turkey. So uh, it's either the expanded influence of Turkey is either considered to be taken neutral or it is uh, well received. Um, obviously, I'm only ta- talking about uh, n- non-ethnic Russians living in Kazakhstan. Uh, I don't know how they feel uh, because there's there's some mixed messages coming from that portion of the population. Um, I like Wendy, if you have a question, put your hand up. We're going to get Gunny on to talk about the Black Sea in a little while. I just have one short question from, a, uh, and this will be more speculative for you, Maddie, uh, to do with Turkey and not quite Kazakhs necessarily, but his question is if you have any thoughts on whether Erdogan holds keys for Tatar independence and specifically Tatarstan, Bashkortostan areas of Russia. If you don't want to comment on this, you know, just just skip it over. But I think it's a you know, the near the near abroad for Kazakhstan, let's say. Oh my, that's that's a different I know it's question. a it's a it's a biggie. Yeah. Uh well when the Soviet Union collapsed uh, both Tatarstan and Bashkortostan declared independence, uh, but the uh, Bashkortostan got quick, quickly coasted into signing an agreement with the federal government in Moscow. Tatarstan uh, refused to sign the federal federalization treaty with Moscow until 1994. Um, but something very significant needs to happen in Russia uh, before either Bashkortostan or Tatarstan gain independence. In terms of cultural affinity, uh, Tatars are actually a lot closer to Kazakhs uh, than Turkey. Uh, our languages are actually um, intelligible to each other. You don't actually need any training at all. You can understand what they're saying immediately. At least I can. Um, You're probably looking at like Danish, Norwegian or Czech, Slovak, maybe something along those lines. Yes, right, exactly. Exactly. So uh, along those lines. So the words are identical. The grammar is identical. It's just pronunciation is uh, different. Um, so I don't know. Uh, for Bashkortostan and Tatarstan to gain independence, the Russian Federation needs to go through a very serious crisis. Uh, I think it could happen. There's The Russians kind of set that trap for themselves. Uh, but they would need to suffer a humiliating, crushing defeat in Ukraine for that. Yeah, and of course, the Orenburg corridor is kind of in the way, right? Um, the the redrawing of boundaries within the Soviet Union made Tatarstan not border Kazakhstan, and had Tatarstan actually had an outside border and not been completely enveloped by other bits of the Russian Federation, the the, the history might have been different, right? After the the collapse yeah. of the Soviet Union. Exactly. I'm going to stick around for another five minutes, but uh, you brought up a very good point. The Ariburko Oblast, uh, that was taken from the Kazakh SSR uh, and exactly to that purpose, to ensure that the Kazakh SSR doesn't have any common borders with the uh, Bashkort Tatarstan or Bashkort autonomy. Uh, there are some crazy circles in Kazakhstan that say that uh, Kazakhstan needs to ask for that specific area of Russia back. <laughs> I don't support those claims. 
uh, it's a bit crazy when you think about it. But yes, you're absolutely right. And sorry, I like Wendy. One quick question um, from the audience. The last question from the audience: What is the position in future for the twenty-ish percent ethnic Russian minority? Are they likely to continue to leave Kazakhstan for Russia? I'm guessing that's a yes. Uh, there was a significant outflow in the nineties. Uh, there was a. It continues into the early two thousands, but many of them decided to stay. So this this level of population that we're seeing right now in Kazakhstan that are staying, I, I don't see them leaving anytime soon. Especially now that Russia is in such dire economic straits, um, do I consider them to be uh, a a minority that could potentially allay uh, a geopolitical mind for the for, for the sovereignty of Kazakhstan? I think I mentioned before, yes, because the Kremlin really likes to use uh, the ethnic Russian minority or uh, Russian speaking population card quite a lot. They try to use it. Um, uh, this past January, but it didn't pan out. They used this in 2014 and 2015 and Ukraine. They're still using it for some ridiculous reason. But overall, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see the the ethnic Russian minority changing uh, or leaving. And proportion wise, they will decrease because demographics. Yeah, demographically, they they will decrease because the uh, the the uh, growth rates in the Uzbek and Kazakh population uh, is actually a lot higher. So over time, their their share will fall. Thanks so much. Uh, I like Wendy. I think maybe one last question for you, and then we'll, we'll let you go. I promise. I like Wendy. Thank you, Doman. Can I say what a pleasure it is to have uh, Maddie on the space? Um, any bilingual speaker from any of the former Soviet satellite states giving us such great detail is uh, is is really really interesting to listen to. Um, I just had a, qu- a question about the, the fuel protests earlier in the year. So apolo- apologies if, if Maddie's already answered this. Um, many of us watching these protests, it kind of evoked, you know, memories of Tiananmen Square. Um, in fact, the, the number of deaths given by the governments is, I think, around about 200, which is ironically quite similar to what the Chinese government gave for Tiananmen Square. But th- that being said, with the with the language that Putin chooses to use for the Kazakh president, you know, deliberately getting his name wrong and um, kind of acting as or you know, trying to lay claim of ownership to the country. Who does Maddie think is really responsible for the brutal crackdown of those protests in January this year? Okay, I'm going to sound like a conspirologist, but I'll tell you my understanding of the events. Um, we know we all know the facts. You can we, you can Google them, but some facts were kind of concealed or not well analyzed in the press. Um, keep in mind, on January 6, almost 3,000 Russian paratroopers showed up within a span of 24 hours. Uh, they didn't just cross the border, uh, land border. They flew in on 76 strategic airlifters. They brought in a lot of vehicles. They brought in BMD-2s, those vehicles that you probably have seen a lot in disassembled uh, condition over the past few months. Um, you don't need uh, IFVs to crush a protest. And that was a very carefully planned operation, uh, moving so, uh, so many troops and so much equipment in a short period of time um, is practically impossible without extensive planning. 
um, there was a speaker here yesterday evening saying that it's, oh, it's a quick reaction force. No, the Russians don't have a quick reaction force with a size of 3,000 people. It, it, that was well planned. Um, so the, the protest started off as uh, a peaceful protest against the increasing uh, cost of living. Um, in the past, there was a tendency for the Kazakh government to shut down pro protests quite quickly within a span of one or two days. This time around, nothing of the sort happened. Uh, in fact, they got violent quite quickly with uh, with some interesting gentlemen uh, roving the cities in small organized groups um, and donning white armbands. If anyone followed the events of uh, of the of the, of the start of the Donbass War in 2014, they would see immediate parallels because those gentlemen didn't just go uh, looting. Um, supermarkets with stores for valuables they started taking strategically important uh tar targets such as the international airport in almaty uh, the local police stations uh they tried to take the local tv station like why would a protester need a tv station think about it it's a it's a typical fsb slash gru move and on top of that you you have a large number of CSTO troops, well, Russian troops showing up just within a few hours after the announcement of the CSTO uh, peacekeeping mission. Combine those two factors make me think that it was a carefully uh, planned and crafted Russian provocation. Um, how how the Kazakh government was involved in this, I don't know. Uh, I also saw some uh, videos on Instagram. I cannot confirm their authenticity of heavy Kazakh equipment in the northern part of the country. Um, but it is it was a bit puzzling to see because there were no pro protests in the northern part of the, uh, not the city, I meant the country. Uh, there were no protests in the uh, northern part of the country. So something was brewing. Uh, why all of it stopped immediately? I think it, it was because there was a stern warning from the Chinese side. The Chinese invested $22 billion uh, in the past years and they're not so keen on getting a war zone right next to them. And they're not so keen on getting on losing their access to the valuable uh, raw material supplies, including natural gas that is coming from Kazakhstan. Uh, they made an announcement during the uh, the uh, the arrival of Russian troops in Kazakhstan saying that they are ready to protect the territorial integrity of the country. And that was very surprising to see, by the way. I, I don't know if you try to follow the Chinese politics but they don't make such claims uh it's very rare so it was obviously a pretty stern warning uh thrown in in the kremlin's uh direction so i don't know i i, I realize that i sounded like a conspirologist right now but it it did feel like something pretty pretty bad was brewing this past january awesome cheers maddie thank you thank you maddie uh, we're getting CJ up. I'm trying to get Gunny up as well. Gunny, the ladies specifically are requesting to hear your mellifluous chords. Um, CJ, if you have a quick uh, point to Kazakhstan, well, we still have Maddie with us for the next minute. No, uh, hopefully Maddie uh, comes back time and time again because I've got a lot of questions about sort of their general military strength and, and how they're how closely they align with Russia they really might be, especially after we kind of saw an example of a close, a quote unquote close ally of Russia i.e. Belarus, kind of fall apart in terms of its ability to actually help Russia project power. So I'd be very interested in kind of comparing that with what we think Kazakhstan might do. 
Uh, I'm not a military expert, to be honest. Uh, all I know is that uh, the Kazakh military is significantly underfunded. Um, the the country is also uh, using multiple suppliers from a lot of countries. Uh, it might sound good because it's, uh, it brings in diversification, but from a logistical perspective, it is a nightmare. And it becomes extremely expensive to service all those vehicles. Um, for example, the, the country right now is trying to uh, ditch the old Soviet BTRs and move uh, towards uh, uh, one of these South African equivalents. Uh, but it's going to be an extremely costly move. Uh, the Kazakh army doesn't have a lot of heavy ground equipment. Um, most of the Air Force is actually of, uh, of the old Soviet uh, vintage. Um, the country did acquire uh, a few SU. 30s from I think SU30s yeah I, I can't remember the the uh, the version of the SU30 from the Russian Federation and uh, one of them <laughs> crashed about a year ago uh, so in case something does start I'll be honest with you I don't think the Kazakh army would perform that well not to the same extent that you see uh, the Ukrainian army is doing uh, definitely not uh, the country is also huge uh, but. I, I don't want to hijack this space just to talk about hypotheticals. Um, I just wanted to say that it's it's not good. <laughs> that, that was my point. Well, don't worry, uh, Matty. If you spend enough time in the space, you'll become a military expert. I mean, look at me for a start, right? Uh, Matty, thank you so much. We are always more than happy to have you. Uh, more than happy. And I really hope that you and CJ can uh, talk about Kazakh military forces sometime real soon. Maybe tomorrow, maybe the day after tomorrow. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe next week, because I for sure would love to would love to hear it. Um, yeah, th- thanks so much. I know you need to run. Uh, and we got Ganya up to talk about the Black Sea. So, you know, all is well. Uh, we don't mind a bit of space hijacking when it's to such tightly related topics. Um, because so many parallels can be drawn between, you know, the two largest countries, the two largest ex-Soviet countries that were not Russia, that are not Russia, um, and but you know, relatively, you know, parallel histories for for a couple of centuries there. Um, so I think there's a lot that can be learned from one to the other, and a lot that can be projected from one to the other. Uh, so thank you again, and as I said, you got rave reviews by literally more than a dozen people in my DMs. Thank you, and I'll drop down to listener. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, uh, Gunny, we have a Black Sea segment scheduled, as you know. Uh, Aliona, if you have a, if you have a question, ideally aimed at, Gun, at Gunny and CJ, go right for it. If it was from Madi, I'm very sorry, but it's ever so slightly too late. He will be back. I'm guessing that means it was aimed at Madi. I'm so sorry. Uh, should have uh, should have put your hand up earlier, but I'm I'm sure that you were otherwise engaged. Gunny, what is up in the Black Sea? There was a lot of there was a lot of speculation that there's been another attack on Snake Island, more stills, but apparently all those stills are from May, so there's no actual confirmation of it. What else have you heard? Yeah, morning all. Um, more questions than answers, I'm afraid. If you want answers, you're in the wrong house here. Um, 